Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Sugar Sammy's brand of comedy is global, which makes sense given his upbringing. He was raised in a multicultural neighborhood in French and English-speaking Montreal with Indian parents. Sometimes he delivers his comedy routines in a mixture of English, French, Punjabi, and Hindi. Sugar Sammy is back on the North American comedy tour, and we'll hear from him ahead of his shows at the Punchline tonight and tomorrow evening. Plus, Cinema Italy, the Italian film festival, returns to the Plaza Theater. First... Gigantic glowing lanterns and puppets will adorn the West Side Trail of the Atlanta Beltline tomorrow evening in the annual Art on the Atlanta Beltline Lantern Parade. The event was created in 2010 by Chantelle Ritter, who joins me now via Zoom with Miranda Kyle, Program Manager for Arts and Culture at Atlanta Beltline. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having us, Lois. Yes, thank you. It's great to be chatting with you again. Chantel, this is the 12th year of the Atlanta Lantern Parade. Would you tell us the backstory of the event? Certainly. In um. 2010, Art on the Beltline gave a call for proposals on the interim trail on the East Side Trail. You know, it was a dirt trail. It was sort of back behind the dumpsters in a hidden away place. I had been thinking about lantern parades for years, and it just seemed like the right place to like try out something new there. So um, me and my crew, the crew of the Grateful Gluttons, <laughs> we gave a, a call out to our folks that we'd been parading with. You know, we're the gnomes in the Emma Park Parade, and we got a giant skeleton thing at Little Five Points. So we had gathered up some fun folks, and it worked out pretty well. People came and did it and participated. And, and then, of course, it grew and grew and grew. And um, when I think about the popularity of the parade and the other parades that we do, I can't help but feel that it met a need, you know? I think we need traditions of collective joy 
to love our places and love our people. So yeah, traditions of collective joy, seeing the people that we share a city with as playful volumes of light. It just does a body good. It does, it's good to be perceived that way. I feel like it's restorative. Bringing the community together to see itself in a magical light just makes us feel really good about, you know, the people in the place where we are. I should add that when you talk about the crew of Grateful Gluttons, that crew is spelled K-R-E-W-E. Exactly, exactly. You spent time in New Orleans, and I know that's what the Mardi Gras groups are called. (laughs) You're absolutely right. It's crew with a K. That is from my New Orleans influence. So I lived there for like 10 years and, and moving to Atlanta, I just missed the soul fun of parade culture where um, you know individual creativity is the coin of the realm and being part of parades is just part of life there. You know, it's me missing that that um, prompted me to try to do parades and public engagement, you know, I invite people to do it with me. I was just in New Orleans for a giant puppet workshop that was magnificent. An artist from England, Andrew Kim, came and taught a brilliant workshop for 10 days. So I just came out of that from March and um, immediately applied it to what I'm working on for the Beltline Parade. It's so exciting. Oh, wow. And there's a long tradition in China of lantern parades. Were you aware of that when you created this event as well? Yes, yes. We have this brilliant space for this project um, over at Lee and White. So I was able to give an artist talk. I had a lantern parade salon, an artist talk this last week. And we talked about lantern parades around the world and the history of lantern parades in Atlanta that a lot of people don't know about. But um, in looking at lantern parades around the world, they're just amazing parades in Japan and Korea and China. And those are in the set of parades that are like 3,000 years old. Mm. You know, so my job of parade artist is a really old profession. <laughs> Miranda, after Chantel and the crew approached you with this idea for a lantern parade, how did the Beltline work with the group to create the annual event? You know, I think that a lot of the success of public art around the corridor in general can be attributed to Chantel's work and her crew's work and a lot of the other amazing artists that make the public art around the corridor so vibrant. And Chantel has always been full of fantastic ideas. So when I came into this position with the Beltline in 2017. I had previously worked with Chantel in 2014 when I was a fellow and knew what a powerful force for creative good she was. And so when we are collaborating with Chantel, we really make sure that we are more of a space facilitator because she is such a pro and so brilliant when it comes to these parade creations, we really just handle the logistical side and the dreaming and ideation is really all on her. And so the collaboration on our end is really to facilitate space and make the dream happen because it's very much driven by Chantel's vision for how we activate these corridors. And she has wanted to 
bring lights and joy to the West Side for several years now. And the cultural reset and time that I think we had as a community during COVID allowed us to watch Chantel do these brilliant tests and experiments. And we had parade in place during COVID. And she really showed everyone that we needed to take the parade on the road, so to speak. And so coming to the West Side felt like a natural fit for the growth and movement of the Lantern Parade. And so we're really excited to bring it to the West Side Trail this year. Pre-pandemic, how many volunteers and participants joined the parade's lineup? So between spectators and participants, we estimate around 70,000 to 75,000 people were involved in in celebrating with us in previous pre-pandemic lantern parades. It is quite the the flagship event. The, The city of Atlanta and our region really flocked to like Chantel mentioned, this celebration of collective joy. It has truly transformed, I believe, how people engage with public art, especially performance and music that happens in our shared public spaces. Uh, Chantel has created a cultural revolution in lights and lanterns. Oh, that is a revolution of the best kind. (laughs) Leading up to the parade, Shanta, how did your team work to offer instruction on creating lanterns? From the outset, we have offered workshops to sort of show people like some ideas about how to make lanterns. I've, you know, we've been doing this for 12 years now, so some of the most amazing things that come to the parade have come like I always encourage people to invent, invent, invent. We all love to see new things. So um, I feel like the personal inventions have eclipsed the workshops a couple of years ago, <laughs> which is fantastic. You know, one of the things um, that I like the most about it, similar to New Orleans, is that you personally are invited to contribute to the cultural character of our city. You know, so um, the workshops are just a way to show people like, some ideas about how to make a volume of light that reflects you. We've always done the workshop series. Over time, I've started building a lantern ideas and inspiration page to point people to where there's, you know, lots and lots of different kinds of ideas of how to make a lantern and video of like some of the greatest lantern parades around the world. I think we're seeing amazing things in the workshops and then beyond the workshops. If you are just joining us, This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with Chantel Ritter, creator of the Atlanta Beltline Lantern Parade, and Miranda Kyle, program manager for arts and culture at Atlanta Beltline. I'm curious about how lantern makers get involved in the parade? Can you just show up with a lantern and walk in the parade or is registration required? (laughs) It's a beautiful chaos, 
but you're just invited to show up and walk in the parade. From my perspective is that it's not like that in New Orleans. Okay, you know, you need to, <laughs> it's very organized and uh, you need to belong to the crew that throws the parade. But in Atlanta, in the absence of parade culture, I wanted to make it really, really, really inclusive where you don't have to register, you don't have to sign up. In fact, if you were visiting from out of town, you could find out about it and figure out how to make a lantern and come and be part of our tradition. You know, like adopt it, it's your tradition. You can call it your parade. So it's wide open. So clearly there will be new lanterns in this year's parade. What are some staples that make their appearance each year? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. We have a collection of lantern puppets that is quite vast at this point. <laughs> and um, some of the darlings, we just sort of consider them like signature lantern puppets that they're like old friends that you only see once a year. Mm -hmm. The oldest ones are Mr. and Mrs. Happy. <laughs> and they were the first lantern puppets in the very first parade, and they've never missed a parade. And they are puppeteered by crew puppets, Cam and Joy Air. They celebrated their 20th wedding anniversary marching in the parade with their puppets. Aww. Yeah, so they're definitely coming. A bunch of the other giant puppets, we built like sort of human-shaped puppets initially because we felt like giant steps on the belt line, like the belt line is giant steps. And then we have developed all kinds of other ones. I'm really excited about a brand new phoenix that I'm building for this year's parade. It is a four to nine person articulated phoenix that's going to lead our parade. We've always had the, the big phoenix in the front, and um, it's time for a fresh phoenix. <laughs> Our city symbol. Would you tell us about some of the bands accompanying the crew on the mile-long walk? Yes, we love our bands. We're really excited about it. We have Sabor Brass Band. They're Louisiana street music that I love. It totally sets the tone for, you know, what we're going for. And then we have the Black Sheep Ensemble. They're one of our favorite parade bands, too. They're um, brass punk. <laughs> and then we punk okay <laughs> and then some they're quite a show they're wonderful we have the beloved seed and feed marching abominables and that's atlanta's community band you know they were founded in 1974 so we love having them and then uh bringing up the rear we have wasted potential brass band what fun sounds like Describe some of your favorite lanterns, Miranda. This would include you too, from either this year's lineup that you know of or past years. 
Oh my gosh. They're all so magical. And I feel like each year when Chantel unveils like the new exciting puppet for that year, that's always like my new favorite. I'm like, oh, I love this one. It's so wonderful. I'm really excited about the Phoenix. It feels very appropriate for us all finding a way to reemerge and come back together after not necessarily in this like post-pandemic world, but as we're all finding our way in this post-pandemic world. But I also loved the Puddles Pity Party (laughs) puppet was one of my favorites. Puddles is coming. Oh, How would you describe Puddles to someone who has never encountered him? Oh, <laughs> my description of Puddles would be a poetic, sad giant with the voice of an angel and in puppet form. A clown. <laughs> and a clown. Of course, the clown part is essential. <laughs> yes, he's the sad clown with the golden voice. <laughs> my favorite um lanterns that are not made by me like over the past that like amazing things have showed up do you remember the mind slayer like they made the monster from stranger things and it was a team of people it was just brilliant we had the giant cake that was in um animal house the eat me cake was really good a couple years ago the little guy that flashes his uh, he moons the crowd there's a mechanism where he drops his drawers that's really really funny (laughs) My gosh, the Ferris wheel, the Atlanta Ferris wheel is a such a detailed, beautiful spinning thing. And those folks made a swing too, like a carnival swing. That's really great. The Kraken, the, the big giant octopus that's eating ships, like the little ships that surround the octopus is a group. It's just brilliant. You know, I wondered if there's ever been an attempt to make a documentary or if a filmmaker has approached you about the Atlanta Beltline Lantern Parade as a subject? Not as a full film. There's one good short piece that was made by Music Voyager a couple of years ago that's very, very nicely done. But it would be interesting to expand it. One thing that is fascinating to me that not a lot of people know about is that Atlanta has a history of lantern parades. I didn't know this until 2019, so I had no idea. There was lantern parade on bicycles here in 1887 to 1893. And then there were lantern parades in Piedmont Park from 1940 all the way to 1960. So I feel like somebody in town knows, like somebody's grandmother was at that parade because thousands of people went to Piedmont Park. They floated lanterns in Piedmont Park Lake. From what I can gather historically, it seems that uh, it ended because they were segregated. Mm. There was a Washington Park Lantern Parade and after there was a Piedmont Park Lantern Parade and then they vanish. So I would say that we've really improved the Lantern Parade situation in Atlanta. (laughs) I would say this was meant to be the culmination. Yes, and Atlanta has the oldest Lantern Parade history in the country, which is interesting. Chantel Ritter, you are just so chock full of history and information (laughs) and art and joy. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. And Miranda Kyle, thanks to you and the Atlanta Beltline for nurturing and continuing this festival. Oh, it is my honor. Thank you, Lois. And thank you, Chantel.
Thank you, Miranda. Thanks for supporting a crazy idea from the get-go, Art on the Beltline. <laughs> Chantal Ritter, creator of the Atlanta Beltline Lantern Parade, and Miranda Kyle, program manager for arts and culture at Atlanta Beltline. The Art on the Atlanta Beltline Lantern Parade is tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in the Adair Park neighborhood. More information is on our website, wabe.org. In a moment, we'll hear about this year's Atlanta Film Festival at the Plaza Theater. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Breitzis. Thank you for listening. When it comes to movies beyond the United States, Italy is the most awarded country in the world by the Oscars, with 14 wins and 29 nominations. The tradition and impact of contemporary Italian film has an Atlanta connection in Cinema Italy. The Italian Movie Festival returns on May 26th after a two-year COVID absence. Claudio Di Persia is the president and artistic director of Cinema Italy. He joins us now via Zoom. Claudio, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. It's great to be again with you. It's, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> it has been a very long time, and welcome back. Thank you. Take us back a couple of decades, please. Why did you want to create this festival in 2003? I've been working in uh, television and film for 30 years. And uh, eventually, I guess I burned out a little bit. <laughs> I retired from uh, active network work. And uh, I thought, you know, I want to give something back to the community. And Italian film, which is such a great uh, multi-award winning thing, it's, it's not distributed correctly in our country. And, and I thought, you know, it's like uh, there is a need for Italian cinema to be seen on the big screen, not just on... Uh, on your Netflix or on your, you know, Amazon, but also on the big screen. And that's when we created uh, the first uh, film festival. Why do you think Italian film has not been distributed properly? 
Well, I think it's uh, at first it was because uh, obviously the American market was closed and uh, Hollywood was very protective of uh, of their um, releases. So having international films was actually causing them disruption in their own releases. Uh, and that basically kept the market shut down. Also for films from Latin America, from Spain, from France. But then, uh, you know, it's like uh, eventually people started discovering that there were a lot of uh, very, very good film coming from the rest of the world. And they started, you know, like looking at this as an alternative to Hollywood, a different way of telling stories. I think that uh, Diane's, they have to do a better job at uh, being able to put their films on the big screen. So how did you decide on which cities would host your festival? Yes, normally when we start the process, uh, we commit for five years. If we go into a city, we're going to do at least five festivals. Because if you just do one-off, your chances of success are minimal. You have to grow into the market. So we did, uh, first we did uh, Miami and uh, Acapulco in Mexico to experiment on uh, outside of the U.S. We did Acapulco for five years, then uh, we stopped that. And 15 years ago, we started with Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta to us was a perfect match. So you guys got a great culture. The people in the city are exposed. They were exposed to, to great culture. With the Olympic, Atlanta was the, you know, the light of the world, uh, the center of the world. And then little by little, although the city's got a great culture, you know, little by little, it started disappearing from the spotlight uh, or at least diminishing the spotlight. And by trying to bring international film festivals and culture and things to Atlanta, I think it enhances uh, a city that already has so much to offer. And, and uh, we bring all these films and they're also titled uh, in English, obviously. And the vast majority of the people that come to the theater are not Italians. They're Anglos, they're Latinos, they're Europeans, and then there are Italians too. And that's why it's all only contemporary film and they're all subtitled. Because in reality, there is that anger for good international culture in the city. Mm. How will this year's festival differ from past years? Well, the first thing that we did this year is uh, we expanded a little bit of our program. Instead of uh, six films, we're going to have seven. Eventually, we want to bring it up to the 10 film that we present in Miami. We just did our 18th edition in March in Miami, and uh, we presented 10 films. These are films that you know are very much tested, and, and uh, we select uh, out of uh, about 60 films that we screen, we select the ones that we bring to you. So it's, it's really the, the cream of the crop, the best that, uh, that we have to offer. And they're all contemporary films. We also do some classic but those are more like uh, we do it with universities and stuff. At the Plaza Theater, we do the contemporary cinema to promote the next generation of directors and actors. And, uh, and uh, you know, behind and in front of the camera, uh, you need to do contemporary films. Indeed. What genres will be included in this year's lineup? That is an excellent question because uh, we always try to make sure that we have a good mix of uh, comedy, romance, drama. And so you have the very serious film like uh, The Great Silence on Friday, which is actually a, a, a play. It's a, the adaptation of a play and it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And then you also have, you know, like comedy, like uh, 10 Days with a Mom or, you know, where, where basically you try to mix when you have two or three films in a day, you try to mix so that you have some romance, some comedy, some drama, so that people can watch more than one film without having to see repetition in the genre. 
You mentioned Il Silenzio Grande, the great silence. That's not to be confused with the 1968 Spaghetti Western movie. (laughs) Tell us about this great silence, please. So the director of this film went to see a play like 10 years ago, and and the, the play was called Il Silenzio Grande in the theater. After he saw this, this, uh, this play, Alessandro Gassman, which is the director, got together with the director of the, the play and he said, you know, this is perfect for a film. I would love to be able to make a film out of this. And then for the next 10 years, they've been thinking about it and tweaking it and correcting it and changing it. And uh, I tell you something, I, uh, I have to screen 60 films. Together with my team, we see, we see 60 films to select these films. And I rarely see a film twice. This film I already saw three times. <laughs> What's it about? Well, it's uh, it, in this in this uh, house in uh, Naples. There is this uh, old writer that is, uh, you know, like like out of sorts already. And uh, the kids decide that they want to sell the house. The old writer is against it. That's been in the family forever. And there is this dynamic between him, his uh, son, his daughter, and his wife, and this uh, mysterious maid that is always like a coming out of uh, closets and things. It's, it's an incredibly well done film. And then we also have like uh, an opening night, uh, My Brother Chases uh, Dinosaurs, which is a beautiful family film. And it's the one that won the audience award in Miami. We have an audience award, people that go into the, into the screening, when they come out, they vote on the film. And uh, the opening film for Atlanta, My Brother Chases uh, Dinosaurs, is the one that won the audience award in Miami. So we have a powerful lineup and how would you describe My Brother Chases Dinosaurs? You said it was a family film. Is it a comedy? You know, the Italian films, uh, you can't really cate- categorize. They, they all have aspects of comedy, drama, uh, romance in all their films. This in particular, young child with, uh, with two sisters uh, is finally going to get a brother. And uh, the brother's got Down syndrome. He's born with Down syndrome. And uh, his parents try to convince him that he's a superhero because he's different. Oh. They grew up together, and at first, you know, like like a, I don't know. At first, it's like a, the family is is a, is is trying to maneuver around this thing that they have a, a child with Down syndrome, and then eventually, things find their the balance, and it's a beautiful, heartwarming story of a family coping with you know with with something like this. And uh, I thought it was a, a great film. I put it in the opening in Miami. And I'm putting it in the opening in, uh, in Atlanta as well. And again, they won the audience award. I mean, people walked out of the theater and said, Claudio, I don't know how you're going to top this one. <laughs> it's the first film of the festival. And I already know, don't know how you're going to top this one. And then they watched El Silencio Grande. And then they watched, you know, like Ladro di Giorni. And, and they say, you know, well, this, this year was like a fantastic year for, for cinema. Well, you mentioned Il Ladro di Giorni just a moment ago. That translates to... Stolen Days? Yes, The Thief of Days, yes. The Thief of Days. What can you tell us about this drama? Well, um, this guy, he's not really a delinquent. He's not really a bad person, but gets involved in something and ends up spending six years in jail. And when he comes out, he goes look for his son, which uh, he's basically, the last time he saw him, the, the kid was like maybe three years old, and now he's 10. He started doing this trip going from uh, uh, northern Italy down to Puglia to deliver drugs. 
and you know contraband and he's using the, the kid as a shield the famous phrase of the film is uh, a kid in the car is better than having a gun because the police will see a dad with his son and will not stop him that's that's the, the concept behind it but then little by little it discovered that this is a it's, it's a beautiful story that he's been missing to have a child that this kid has actually got a personality and he's got a, his own feelings and he's got his own views of the world and things and uh, so while they're traveling down south you know in this long car drive basically they develop this this uh, relationship where basically uh, he rediscovered that uh, that he has a son you know i think is a again it's another beautiful story it's, it's more of a drama but uh, i i think in the end it's the kind of story that when you walk out of there you're going to have a conversation about it with the with the people that were with you uh, inside the theater claudio Why do you think Italian cinema is related to audiences worldwide? I think that uh, the first thing that we have to consider is that uh, Italian cinema is born out of uh, the theater. The Italian actors, the Italian directors, especially the ones in the past, all of them started in theater. And in theater, you don't have special effects. In theater, you don't have incredible sceneries. In theater, you don't have... In theater, you had to have acting. Uh, you have to be able to tell a story, to present a character that is believable, because you're not going to be able to <laughs> fix it with CGI. It's, it's going to have to be you performing on stage, and, uh, and your performance is the only thing that is going to impress the, the audience or not. And so when, when you come from this background, you bring to the big screen something that is already good to begin with. It's, it's got a solid base. These are people that have been in the theater for years before actually enacting, for years before actually getting to the to the big screen on, uh, on film. And, and I think that they bring that capacity to make a believable character out of them. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on the return of Cinema Italy. Claudio Di Persia, thank you very much. Lars, you're great and uh, I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I hope to see you in the theater. Claudio Di Persia is president and artistic director of Cinema Italy. The Italian Film Festival returns to the Plaza Theater May 26th through the 29th. More information is on our website, wabe.org. In a moment, we'll revisit my conversation with comedian Sugar Sammy. He's performing at the Punchline tonight and tomorrow. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Breitzis. Thank you for listening. Sugar Sammy's brand of comedy is global, which makes sense given his upbringing. He was raised in a multicultural neighborhood in French and English-speaking Montreal with Indian parents. Sometimes he delivers his comedy routines in a mixture of English, French, Punjabi, and Hindi. Sugar Sammy is back on a North American comedy tour, And he'll perform at the punchline tonight and tomorrow. I spoke with him last in 2017 in studio, 
and began asking him his name preference, Sugar or Sammy. Well, we are in the South, so uh, I've had a lot of random waitresses call me Sugar Indians. <laughs> it's part, <laughs> okay, of, it's part of your vernacular. Like, hey, Sugar, can I, can I get you a refill you there? You got to admit, it's nicer than, hey, you. Yeah, I yeah. like that better than, hey, what do you want? Get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You are you guys, not in New York. No, it's very friendly here. Very. So improv with the audience is a big part of your shows. Mm-hmm. It's like... You're able to find humor in anything if you're just given a name or a profession when you ask the audience members. Why has riffing off the audience become such a major part of your act? Uh, For me, it just becomes a way of keeping myself interested in the shows because, you know, when you do uh, three, four hundred shows a a year, you know, you could eventually get into autopilot mode Mm -hmm. and it prevents me from getting there. You know, I I usually start uh, it's sort of the it's the equivalent of a musician who knows his songs, plays his songs, but wants to go and jam and and just improvise a little bit. So for me, it, it keeps me engaged. It keeps me it keeps me involved in the show every single time. Keeps me attentive, you know. Very much so, and also um, it's challenging. I mean, it's risky because what if you just have bland, boring answers from people? Yeah, sometimes you're able to find uh, the funny and everything. You just got to keep digging sometimes, uh-huh. and sometimes I'll have my back pocket tools to to get myself <laughs> out of situations, you know, and make it look like magic. But uh, but a lot of it is also the interest of trying to find something new every show you know that curiosity of finding something new every show so I, I to me that's important is trying to get my writer's brain to figure out and f- find the, the the funny you know for the first time a unique moment that'll never happen again so when you keep digging that's keeping your audience engaged and in the moment too yeah as well i mean we live in a very add uh, time in history, so people uh, don't have the attention spans they used to. So when you keep them engaged and involved, and they feel like they might become part of the show, really, they'll stay focused. Yeah, they won't be on their phones. What happens when you see someone looking at a phone? I would think that must be so unnerving. That's gotta be the worst. You know, in in Canada, I'm, I'm pretty well known, and you know, as soon as I got up on stage and they announced me as a surprise guest. Half the audience took their phones out to start filming. They couldn't even help themselves. And I addressed it. I said, you guys can't even help yourselves. You had to. It's stronger. I see you guys. Like, there were people in the first row pulling out their phones. And uh, I, made a, I made a joke about it, riffed on it, and then everybody put them away, you know. So. Uh-huh. But it, it's, become a, it's become a problem, I think, to the point where there's some comedians now in the States I've heard who have a phone check service where you have to check your phone in before Ooh. you come into the venue. Yeah. This is like teachers and and professors are doing that. Well, getting back to the audience riff, you've riffed off Mexicans, Lebanese, Indians, Americans, and that's only (laughs) everyone on Donald Trump's Trump's list. Yeah, (laughs) that's only naming a few. But you're able to do it so well because you have this deep understanding of all sorts of people. We're going to listen to some clips of yours, and I look forward to hearing your reactions. What's your name? What's your name? Come on, step out. Sabrina, you okay? You're fine? You're single? It's all right. Don't be ashamed. We'll work it out. And who are all these people who are trying to, like, get rid of you? Who are all these people? Your friends? Okay, it's all right. They're just doing you a service. 
So Sabrina, how long you been single? Too long, okay, that didn't sound desperate at all. <laughs> how long you been single? Too long. <laughs> What's up, buddy? What's your role in all this, yeah. Are you with, are you hanging out with her? Oh, it's your wife's best friend. He had to point out, no, no, man. That's my wife, that's the best friend. Don't start shit, all right? <laughs> There's gonna be a fight later. Let's just keep this on the chill, all right? Say again? You're Italian. Okay, is that a threat or what? <laughs> why, did, why did that come out of her mouth? Like, hey, we're Italian, okay? You understand what I'm saying? Does this compute with you right now? I'm Italian. We're all Italian. We're all together, a family. Okay, that was less than a nanosecond. I don't know what a, you know, tiny, tiny segment of a nanosecond is, but boom, you picked up on that. You're right. Italian. <laughs> and yet, you, you did it without being offensive, you know, okay, you pick up, up on the familial aspect, maybe a little bit of a gangster inflection. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but without being offensive, mm -hmm. how do you gauge that? Um, I think it just comes from feeling, you know. I To me, it was all... Um, uh, the tone of 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 the of the of the whole moment, you know, for me it was uh, it was the friendliness. I came from a place of love, of understanding, of knowing Italians because I grew up with them as well, and uh, making sure that they didn't become victims of the joke that they were, you know, laughing. We were all laughing together as a community, you know. We have another clip from another part of European background. Let's hear it. Any Europeans here, my applause, besides the French guys? Any Europeans? No? Nobody? Yo? <laughs> that was very European. Yo! So wh where are you from in Europe? Sweden. Sweden. Oh, cool. Well, all this furniture came assembled <laughs> in advance. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> so you're from Sweden. You're a brown guy, though, no? Yeah? Your family's from Hungary? That doesn't help your brownness. <laughs> Is your family from Hungary? No, I'm hungry. I, I just came from India, then I went to Sweden, and then... <laughs> they made me assemble furniture there, and then I said, you know. <laughs> So what's your, what's your name? Philip. What is it? Peter. Oh, that was completely different. Peter, but you're brown. You could tell, right? He's what? He's he he's been in Miami. He's tan. <laughs> Did you go with him? You're still white. <laughs> I don't know, lady. I think this guy's been feeding you the wrong story. <laughs> okay, I stopped counting on how many different groups were included in there, but everyone is laughing hysterically. Yeah, and and Peter, uh, the first one, Peter and his uh, his girlfriend, they they were uh, the first ones to be. Uh, we do these uh, interviews after the show, testimonials right after these improv moments, and they loved it. So it was, it a lot of it is I make the people who I speak to the stars of the show. 
So they, uh-huh. they sort of become, you know, comfortable, not just comfortable, they want to be a part of the show because it's sort of a shout out to, to who they are. And it's a, it's a little slice of their lives that have, that have become, a, a, you know, comedic material, but at the same time been celebrated with laughter. Your tour, you're going to rear, and that's R-I-R-E for anyone listening who studied French in high school. Um, you're going to laugh. From a couple of years ago was bilingual, which makes perfect sense because colloquial Quebec French is peppered with English. But wasn't this frowned upon when you first started doing French-English shows? Yeah, just uh, because in Quebec there's a big level of uh, protectionism in terms of the French. So anything that culturally becomes uh, a mixture that plays to Francophone audiences but that has a mixture of English in it is seen as a threat because, you know, uh, a lot of uh, Quebec culture needs to be protected and French needs to be protected. So I think to a lot of people that was uh, a bit of a threat. You know, it was going to... tarnish the French language somehow or threaten it. But to um, to a lot of people who were Montrealers, because this show really played to Montrealers, they were bilingual anyway. And it was the melting of both of these cultures. It was the reunion of all these cultures, these two cultures meeting on a bridge. That was the uh, whole point of that exercise. And it was a, a runaway success. It was one of the biggest successes that, uh, that we've had in terms of comedy in that province. Yet in terms of some of the reaction, I read you even got it death threat yeah isn't that terrifying for franklish for language yeah yeah it's uh you know what it it, it's not it's not a representation of everyone obviously in the province so it's one person who who you know got carried away so i never let that represent you know my feelings towards everybody but most of the province celebrated this show and celebrated the uh the, this event that brought everybody together because, you know, uh, Montreal and the province of Quebec was seen as two solitudes, two different cultures living side by side. And this was one of the first times that they came together to, 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 to culturally uh, have a good time, you know? Yes, and that, that reaction was very small because you also won Comedian of the Year in Quebec. Yeah, that was fun, yeah. So obviously a lot of French speakers are thrilled with your work. And it seems you're stimulating important conversations around language and globalization. Do you think, Pom, do you think comedy has a certain power to change minds, change attitudes? It definitely has a power to spark conversations. I'm not sure if it'll change minds, but it'll, it'll at least start conversations, which is the first step to, to to having people be open to other ideas and open to other philosophies. Uh, and I think that's the key, is being open to change and being open to progress. And I think once you do that, uh, it can lead to, to betterment for sure. More recently, you brought your comedy to France. First, can French people understand your Quebecois accent? I, I, I sort of bring it into a middle, I call it a middle French. I call it a... Like uh, mid-Atlantic English? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so they're able to understand. So I still keep my Quebecois inflections a little bit, but uh, they're, they're a little more refined so the French can understand me. Yeah. Can, can you give us an example for ears that probably won't be able to detect the subtlety, but let's hear. Well, if there are French people listening, my opening line uh, in France is, uh, je suis très content d'être ici en France, vous êtes mon pays arabe préféré. 
So my, my opening line when I when I go to France is, I'm really happy to be here in France. You guys are my favorite Arab country. <laughs> <laughs> Although your language is French, you had to write a whole new show for France. Mm-hmm. What was different about French audiences? I had to be there in France, and I wanted to write a show that was for them. I didn't just want to bring my show from Montreal and transpose it into France. I wanted to bring a whole new perspective as a Canadian in France. So I, I was there for about a year before I launched my show, working in comedy clubs, writing new material, writing my point of view about France, which was a fresh one because I'd just arrived. So all of these cultural differences were hitting me right away. And so I'd write them and bring them up on stage and just test them. And I built my show that way over uh, the span of a year. That's very impressive work. Yeah, it's hard work. It's tough work. So you because you almost have to behave like an anthropologist. You have to really pay attention, listen, ask all these questions, and go right to the end of every single question. Get the honest truth about every little cultural nuance, and that's when you're able to be successful because with a culture, it's very important that you're precise because if you just talk about the stereotype from the outside about a culture or your general point of view from someone who hasn't done their research, it could become a caricature. And that's when people get offended Yes, is when you haven't done your research. But when you're precise and you're bang on, people can't dispute that and they recognize themselves in the material. Now you're touring through the U.S. You've also done shows in Punjabi and Hindi in India. Have you found anything that's universally funny? Universally funny? I'd say the one thing that I know works everywhere is, you know, material about relationships. You know, like, because everybody lives through those. So whenever I talk about my girlfriend, I'll talk about my relationship with my parents or something like that. That works. The human, I'd say the human condition, you know, the human uh, connection. I think that works everywhere. We've all had encounters with our parents that have gone a certain way or with our significant others that people can relate to. So whenever I speak about that, that's very universal. So I'd say the... Those things are, but you know, when I start speaking about cultural uh, differences, uh, unless someone has a very global culture, which is very rare, but if I go to England and I talk about the French, they get it because geographically they're so close and everybody who's lives in London has visited Paris at some point or another, right? Or if I'm in Atlanta and I'll talk about New York, people will get it because they're culturally pretty close and they're able to um, discern that just by, you know, what they've seen on television or, if they're, you know, <laughs> The Sopranos or anything like that. So they're, they're able to get it. But if I go to, uh, let's say, uh, America and I talk about uh, what I've uh, encountered, uh, you know, in Sweden... It could, I could lose, I could lose a little bit of that if it's too precise, you know? Hence, Hence the, the Ikea jokes. The Ikea jokes. So that's why that was the first thing that came to me and that got a good laugh. But <laughs> beyond that, I didn't have anything that I could do, you know? So so for me, it's adapting and making sure that I hit my target with, uh, with every single uh, culture by really adapting the material and writing it uh, tailor-made for them. Comedian Sugar Sammy. He's on tour and performing at the Punchline tonight and tomorrow evening. You can hear this conversation in its entirety on our website, wabe.org. 
You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., singer-songwriter John McCutcheon takes us through his latest album, Bucket List. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you will find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, courtesy of Hot Shoe Records. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.